Good morning. My name is Ken Pavlik, and uh, Pastor knows that I've had a, a passion for the history and the culture of when Jesus was around and, and before. So I was fortunate many, 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 many years ago to have a mentor that helped me understand as we read through the Bible some of the things that were not written, but just, you know, that were common knowledge or were part of the culture at the time. So if we were to have written down that Ken greeted everyone in a customary fashion, what would that look like? Cheryl? So, depending upon what culture you're from, or what time or era you were born, those would make sense and be common knowledge to you. The same thing is in the Bible. Uh, one of those examples would be in the book of Exodus. Common knowledge at the time would have been that there was many Egyptian gods. So when Moses came and took on the plagues, the first plague was the was uh, turning the, the Nile to blood. That was a direct slap at the god Hapi, H-A-P-I, who was the god of the Nile. The second plague was the plague of the frogs, which was the goddess Hequet, H-E-Q-E-T, which was the goddess of birth. So each one of the plagues doesn't say that in the Bible as you read it but you would have known that because you would have been of that time and culture. Same thing is, is with um, when Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to get into the heaven of kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. First thing we think of is a sewing needle, right? This was 2,000 years ago. They didn't have metal. They didn't have sewing needles. However, there was a gate in the city of Jerusalem that was called the Eye of the Needle. And for a camel to get into that gate, it had to get on its knees. So Jesus, as when, when he said that, would have known that people would have known that there was another gate in, the, in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle, and that for a camel to get through, it'd have to be on their knees, which means we would have to be on our knees get into the kingdom of heaven. This leads me to go back to the Mosaic Law in the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, it has all these different laws. And I think there's like 319 or something like that, different laws that the Jewish people had to adhere to. One of them being purification, washing their hands up to the wrist. Well, the priests also had another one. Before they would go into the temple, they were required to have a full body immersion. So they would be cleansed or purified before they could go into the, into the temple. Now, in order, in, that had to be of special water and of a special kind of bath. It was called a mikvah. It was M-I-K-V-E-H, which means water given by the hand of God. 
So at the time of, of Jesus and before, there was two types of water. There was well water, which was drawn. So it was drawn up, brought to the surface. There was also then the spring-fed rainwater or rivers, which was considered to be water given by the hand of God. So there would have been these two things. Now, the Pool of Bethesda, which Pastor's going to talk about today, in the Pool of Bethesda, um, this was this kind of water. Now, also, a lot of people didn't realize, didn't believe that it existed the way Paul, John wrote it. John said there was five-sided pool. How many people have seen a five-sided pool? Not very many, because you have a rectangle or a square, typically for a pool, four sides. Well, in 1956, they found the Pool of Bethesda, five-sided with five columns. So the five sides is that in the middle, it separated the, the water between the two pools so that it refreshed itself with the spring-fed rainwater or, or, and they had a channel coming from the river. Um, Herod the Great, um, when he was in reign, he also sided with one of the rabbis. The rabbis at the time wanted to put their little spin on the Mosaic Law. So they were changing some of the rules. So there's some of the stuff that is considered Mosaic Law, and then there were some laws that were adapted from the Mosaic Law and were a little bit more stringent. So Herod pulled up, or <laughs> Herod teamed up with one of those rabbis and agreed that instead of the priests only having to do the purification, everybody who wanted to go to the temple had to do this full body immersion. So the Pool of Bethesda was one of those pools, as well as the Pool of Shalom. I, hopefully, I'm saying that right. Um, and that's where the uh, the blind man was healed. So these two pools were mikvahs. So they were the water from the hand of God. The pool of Bethesda also has two different meanings. One of it means house of mercy. And in Arabic, it is the pool of the children of Israel. So at the time of the story of the pool of Bethesda, it was one of the three major festivals that had to be where most everybody had to go to the temple. So you had all these people migrating to the Jerusalem, handing to get purified so that they could go into the temple to worship. So now we've got all these people there. We have the Pharisees there because they have to make sure that the people are adhering to the law. But why do we have the sick and the lame there? We have the sick and the lame there because when different countries different peoples, the Babylons, the, and at this particular time, now the Romans, would came in and, and occupied the Jewish people, they would uh, adapt some of their rules and, and some of their, their culture. So the Romans had a god called, and I'm going to butcher this, Acaplus, um, A-S-C-L-E-P-I-U-S. And he was their god for healing. So when the Romans came over, they added some more pools right in that vis very vicinity of the Pool of Bethesda for their healing and their ritual to their God. So over the years, some people tried to say, well, if their God can do this, then 
you know, we can get healed too in ours. Well, that wasn't necessarily the case. So the Pharisees were there because they had to make sure the people were adhering to the law. The people were adhering to the law so that they could go to the temple to worship. And the lame and sick were there hoping that something would spill over. So Jesus would have known all of this stuff. None of this is necessarily written in the verses of the Bible, but would have been common knowledge for anybody at that particular time. So just as we demonstrated here with the different versions of greetings, some, I'm looking over at Christians, young ones, have no idea what a bow and a curtsy is. But when I was a kid, and there's a few of them around my age here, we learned that in like what, first or second grade, how to do that properly. So it depends on your time and culture, and it does add a lot more meaning to what the words actually say. So sometimes there's more going on than is written. Well, thanks for sharing that. It's uh, helpful to kind of set that up uh, as we're going to be heading into our passage for this morning. We're going to be continuing on in our series in the book of John. Uh, as we've been looking through this last week, uh, we looked at the official who came to Jesus and was kind of pleading for his son, uh, wanting his son to be healed because he was dying. Uh, and through this was kind of a testing of the man's faith. Uh, Jesus healed the boy uh, at a distance. Uh, and then that testimony with this man also brought others to salvation. And kind of that, that spread of the gospel. Uh, today, as Ken had mentioned, uh, we're going to be going into the pool of Bethesda, uh, looking into John chapter 5. Uh, and so kind of keep that historical context in mind of why people are there, what they were there for, some for cleansing, some for observing to make sure that people were cleansed. Uh, and then yet others were there in hopes of healing. And even that idea of healing is, is somewhat muddied with the Roman concept of healing with their particular God. Uh, and so there's a bunch of stuff kind of in the background of this. Uh, we'll begin in verse 1, but before we read, let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, we thank you uh, for your holy word that is alive and active to us. We pray that it would pierce into our hearts, uh, challenge us where we need to be challenged, and help us to grow uh, more into your likeness. We pray that as we read these verses, uh, that they would minister to us deeply. Uh, Lord, let us be the church to one another, to encourage one another as well. Uh, guide the conversation after the message uh, and what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John 5, beginning in verse 1. Uh, and so it says, after this, and so this would have been after the healing uh, of this uh, person because the Father had come. After this, uh, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. 
Uh, and so this is kind of uh, setting the context here of this story. Uh, again, Bethesda means house of mercy. Uh, the five colonnades are there kind of representing the first five books of the Torah, uh, representing kind of the, the law that was given through Moses. Uh, and it points out one particular person, this man who has been disabled for 38 years. Now we don't know uh, how old he was. You know, was he born with a disability and he's 38 years old? Uh, or was he a child and something happened and he lived uh, with a disability for 38 years after that? All we know uh, is that he's been disabled uh, for 38 years. And it affects his walking because he's laying on a mat. And so just to kind of take a moment and, and recognize or... or try to envisualize uh, what life would have been like for this person. You would have been able to, to work, to, to go and earn money, to, to be able to use the strength of his back and his body in order to, to provide for himself. Most likely, uh, he would have relied then on the handouts uh, of others or his family. It would have been a thing where he kind of got to a point in his life, perhaps, where he learned to be kind of like, okay, this is just the way things are, and, and I need to deal with it. But we know where he's at at this point, though, is, is in this place of desperation. He's no longer at a point where, okay, this is kind of my life, and I just have to do what I need to do. But, but it's sitting here, and he's saying that, that he's laying here with the rest of these people, and, and he's putting his hopes into this mix of, of Jewish holy place for purification that has been kind of distorted and twisted by the Pharisees and their oral tradition into something more than God intended for it to be in the first place. There's this mix of that, and then this mix of uh, Roman mythology as well. And okay, there's this other God that heals Roman people if they hop in a pool. And so I'm here and I'm desperate. I'm tired of being disabled for 38 years. I don't want my life to be like this anymore. And so he's there in kind of this desperation of changing his life. And it sets the tone. We get into verse 6. It says, When Jesus saw him lying there and realized that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. And so there's this idea of him being there for a while, wanting to have this healing, but what he's hoping for is the water to be stirred. He's hoping for this mix of Jewish and Roman thing to be his solution. And so he, he wants to be there and, okay, there's wind that blows or the spring bubbles up or whatever it is, and, and he wants to get into the water. And, and if you've been watching the show The Chosen, uh, which has been a, a show I, I've been enjoying, there's uh, some stories in there that follow uh, the Bible. There's also stories in there that are kind of like these hypothetical side things that they do. Uh, but one of the, the scenes uh, that I really appreciated, there was a scene where here's this 
pool of Bethesda, and this guy's kind of laying there on his cot, and, and the water kind of bubbles up, and I'm guessing that's representing the, the spring-fed nature of this pool, and, and he just starts like dragging himself frantically to get into the water while other people are like jumping over him, or somebody was carrying their kid, and there was like the mom and dad like running with their kid and like jumping into the water and, and kicking this guy as they're going past and everything like that. And it's just kind of this, it was a cool picture to kind of see what this man's hopes were in, but also like the impossibility of him actually being able to get in, hoping for this mixed miracle. So Jesus sees him, and then he asks this question, do you want to get well? It seems like a silly question. Right? Like, here's this guy who, who's sitting at the pool for a long time, hoping that this miracle will happen for him to be healed. And the man replies, like, well, yeah, of course. Like, I want to be healed. Like, that's why I'm here. But I can't do it. His response in that moment is, is just looking at the natural. I want the healing to happen, but I can't get into the water. I can't move. Other people won't help me. I'm facing all these things. And in his mind, he's just looking at this natural aspect. When again, Jesus is sitting here and asking a question. As we've gone through this series in John, we see over and over again, Jesus intentionally chooses language to confront people. Intentionally, you will use language that sometimes is easily misunderstood when we have a focus simply on the natural. Jesus goes up and he says, do you want to be healed? There's nothing in what Jesus is saying that's like, oh, do you want me to, to help you? Like carry you into the water so that I can kind of perpetuate and give credence to this stupid Roman thing? But he's there as God himself walking on the earth, the creator of the universe that has spoken all things into existence and saying, do you want to be healed. And this man misses the supernatural opportunity before him. Doesn't understand what Jesus is actually saying. And maybe even that moment, he's secretly hoping, oh, here's this guy. Maybe he can carry me into the water. Maybe he can help me in this. But Jesus and grace and love in that moment uh, reveals the supernatural opportunity. It's not something that's passed up because the man doesn't understand what Jesus actually means. Uh, and so Jesus' response to this person who's saying, well, I can't get in, is in verse 8. Get up, Jesus told them. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. I mean, this is just absolutely miraculous. Disabled for 38 years. This is that Jesus was able to discern that the man had been there for a long time. And what Jesus says in that moment is, get up. Just, just get up. The whole water thing, this whole stupid Roman Jewish mix, don't even bother with that. Just get up. Pick up your mat. And walk. And it says the instantly he got well, picked up his mat. There's, there's so much stuff in this. The, the first one is this full, immediate healing. Get up, pick up your mat. And he's instantly well. There, there was no rehab that happened. 
Like, like okay, like your, your legs are kind of restored, but since you've been an invalid for the last 38 years, uh, we need to get you into some PT, uh, do some little, you know, leg raises, and, you know, they have those little bars that you kind of walk through. Uh, there's nothing like that. In fact, he says, actually, pick up your mat. Like, do some more physical activity other than just getting up on your feet. And so the miracle that Jesus does here in this moment, uh, I think, is more mind-blowing when you consider that full consequence of it was complete healing, complete restoration to, to full functionality, and not just this partial thing where the guy's able to walk with some help. I think the second thing that we see in this uh, is that regardless of how long the man was sick or we've been sick or hurt or damaged, there's healing. It doesn't have to be something that's recent, but it could be something that we have been struggling with for a long time. And the power of God can actually overcome that. I think the third thing here is that it was done in a supernatural way that the man did not expect. His idea of this healing was, well, if I can get into this pool. And, and for him, it was a mix of trust in the wrong things. It was trust in, in a Jewish religious system and their constructed uh, oral traditions. And, and it was a mix of the Roman superstitions and their own hopes. But the actual healing came just in this complete trust in Jesus Christ, in the supernatural work that was done in this. And so our expectations of how healing might happen or what will be healed or, or how we might be able to overcome things in our life or uh, addictions or sins or things that we've been trapped in, we might have these preconceived motions and things that we try to trust in ourselves but God's work is supernatural. And so we need to learn to trust in that as well. Now as Jesus does this, uh, again, we see how God intentionally orchestrates and, and does things in order to either mock or, as Ken said, slap uh, these other things in the face. The, the way that the ten plagues were slap in the face to the Egyptian gods. Here, Jesus is doing something uh, in the face of the Roman superstition, this other Roman god. Oh, well, if the water stirs and you're the first one in, maybe you get healed. And Jesus comes in. He's like, I don't need water. I don't need it to be stirred. All I need to do is speak it forth. Get up. Pick up your mat. Walk. And it was done. The same power and the same way that he said, let there be light, and there was the sun and the stars. Let there be birds of the air, and the heavens were filled. It's this same voice speaking to this man, get up and walk. And it flies in the face of all the Roman gods. But he also is doing this in the face of the Jewish oral tradition that had put on these extra burdens for the people that were trying to go to the temple. It was never intended for them to be fully cleansed, and yet their oral tradition added these things, as Ken had pointed out. And so here's this extra burden of having to go there now, and Jesus, taking this opportunity, slaps that in the face as well. Because we see in verse 9, uh, not only was it that in the water, but he says that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. 
And he replied, the one who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man that told you to pick up your mat and walk? And, and through conversation, they find out that it was Jesus. Verse 16 says that the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Uh, and so as Jesus comes and, and hears this healing, he is confronting the things that men and women were trusting in at that time. Whether the Roman superstition or the Jewish oral tradition. And Jesus upends all of this in the way that he chooses intentionally to perform this miracle in order to show them there is something greater. There is something real and there is something supernatural that you are to follow and pursue. The people there uh, that were then asking this man, why, why are you picking up your mat and walking? They completely missed this miracle. I, like, here's this man that's been there for 38 years, or, or rather had been you know, an invalid for 38 years. And he was just miraculously healed by Jesus saying, pick up your mat and walk. And those Pharisees sitting there aren't then saying, well, who's this guy? And what is the power of God on him? This, this supernatural healing. Instead, they're all concerned about their constructed beliefs and traditions and how they thought things should happen. They, they made this whole miracle more about themselves and their way of seeing God and their expectations of what God would do and what He wouldn't do, how God would act. And trusting their own traditions just the way that the man was trying to trust uh, superstitions. Again, Jesus challenges this by doing what is supernatural. Now, I think this is the same challenge for us today. They, they were sitting there and they were wrestling and they were going through life and uh, trying to deal with the issues, deal with the concept of, I need to be healed and so here are the different things that I can try and, and do for that. And I think it's easy to kind of fall into that mindset of, of what the world's wisdom is and fall into this mix of superstition or luck or uh, wisdom for whatever goal we might have in our life. We start to seek out what works practically. What are we able to do within our own strength? instead of recognizing that the freedom that Jesus offers is miraculous and supernatural. That it's something beyond what we're able to uh, accomplish within ourselves, uh, but because we're so focused uh, on earthly things, uh, we can struggle to trust in the supernatural work of Jesus Christ. But instead, uh, legalistic trust in our own abilities. Now, the question posed to the man at the beginning, do you want to be healed, uh, I think is also posed to us. And, and I'm not just talking here uh, about physical healing. Uh, we could look at this passage and we could look at physical healing and we've looked at that uh, in other messages and we know that God calls us to pray for people to be healed and, and to pray in expectation that He will heal and then to trust Him with that. That's a whole nother topic. But this morning, as we're looking at this, there's this idea and this question that stood out to me the most of do you want to be healed? Or do you want to be free? 
Because I think we can slip into this mindset of like this is just how life is. I think the man might have slipped into that for a little while before he became desperate again and, and started going to the pool, grasping at whatever he could in order to try to change that. But, but for us, we, we go through life and we have how many different things that are happening within us, uh, the temptations that we struggle with, the sin that we seem that we continue to fall into. Uh, maybe it's your marriage. It's a relationship with somebody else. It's how you respond emotionally to things. Maybe it's anger that you deal with. There, there's so many different things that, that are anchored into the world and the way that we respond out of them that Jesus has come to offer us freedom and healing from sin and from death. And I think a lot of times we desire that. We want that. Like, I, I don't want to act out of sin. I don't want to return to the same sin. I'm, I'm tired uh, of this temptation that I always seem to fall into. Uh, I'm tired uh, of my marriage being a wreck and a shambles and difficult. I'm tired of XYZ responding in anger, living in fear. And, and yet, if we're not careful, we slip into this mentality of, well, that's my struggle. This is what I have to live with. This is what I have to, to combat. Or we start looking at, how can I practically fix these things? What can I do within my own strength? Like, let me start reading self-help books in order to help with my self-esteem. Let me go and, and look and um, let me buy things to help out my marriage. Like, a lot of flowers is a good thing, right? I, it can help in certain situations. Um, but again, that's relying on earthly things. It's relying on temporary things. And we can go and we can look at these and we can try to make things happen and miss out the idea that there's a supernatural healing, a supernatural freedom that's offered through Jesus Christ. And so I think the first step is to, to stop trusting in the things of the world and turn to Christ and all of what we need. But again, this question of do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free? And I think a lot of us, as we reflect on the different things that we struggle with and that we would hope Jesus would just fix and take away, that we would say, yeah, I, I want to be healed. Yeah, I, I want this sin to be gone. Yeah, I, I want to be free from addiction. Yeah, I want my marriage to be better. And so we answer yes to this question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free? Yes, of course I do. But I think sometimes when we say yes, what we're really answering the question or what we're really hoping to be free of is just simply the consequences or the struggle. I don't want there to be tension in my marriage. And so yes, I want there to be freedom and healing in my marriage. Instead of saying, well, the actual issue in my heart of selfishness or pride or control. I want that to be here. Well, we're not saying yes to that. We're not saying yes to the root of actually what's within us that Jesus wants to address. We're saying, yes, I just don't want any more conflict. 
We think of sins that we fall into, idols that we lean on, other relationships, substances, whatever it might be. Yes, I want that gone. But I think a lot of times it's yes, I want that gone because I don't want to have to confess to somebody else this is the sin that I fell into. I don't want to have to go through the the messiness of the result of what my actions are. And we want that gone. And that's what we're really saying is, yes, I want to be free from that consequence. I want to be free from the difficulty. Instead of saying, I want to be free in my heart of the things that drive me towards idols. And that's what Jesus is really asking here. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be healed supernaturally where you choose to trust and submit to the work that Christ is doing and and not lean idolatry-wise on things of the world or your own strength or your own willpower? Because the more that we do that, the more that that strength might be an illusion for a while and then we start to have pride in ourselves for our own strength but it's not effective it's not lasting and it's not eternal God has told us throughout scripture that he's come to set us free and those that are free in the sun are what free indeed that freedom we talked about at communion. I, I think a lot of times it's almost like this ethereal concept of yes, I want freedom from this sin. Yes, I want freedom from the effects of emotions in my life. I want freedom from whatever it might be for you. But it feels impossible in a sense because it seems to always just be around the corner even if we can walk away from it for a little bit. But what Scripture says is that you are set free. That He's broken the chain. That you are now adopted a son or daughter of God Himself. Sanctified. Considered to be righteous in His eyes. You are free from sin and death. When God looks at you, He's like, I've separated you as far as the east is from the west. You are free. But do we feel that way? And do we act that way? And I think that's where this question comes in. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be healed? Truly and deeply within. Because the supernatural power of God, as we trust and submit, will bring healing to our marriages. Will help us to walk away from sin. It will free us from addiction. It will change the attitude of our hearts if we die to ourselves and we trust in His work and His power. Ephesians uh, chapter 1 works through uh, Paul's prayer. It's one of my favorite uh, passages in Scripture where he's praying that our eyes would be open to know the truth of the hope to which we've been called. That's in Jesus Christ. If we're able to grasp that full hope, the full truth of our redemption by His blood, 
If we can fully grasp that. The, the other one is the glorious inheritance. His glorious inheritance in the saints. Meaning that he sees each one of us as his special possession. Uh, but then the third one is that the very same power that was at work in Jesus Christ being rose from the dead is now at work in our lives when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's there. It's at work. It's available. Do we submit to it and follow it? That's the question. Jesus goes up to this man. That full opportunity for supernatural healing to take place was right there. And Jesus says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? I think in each of our lives, we have these things uh, that seem to be clinging on from the world or we seem to return to every once in a while. And what Jesus is saying to us is the very same power that raised him from the dead is at work in us. It is more than enough to free us from any sin. It is more than enough to heal our marriages, to change the way we respond to situations in this world. It's more than enough. But do we want it? Do we actually want to submit to it and kill the things within us that don't belong? Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for this truth, uh, for conviction that it brings, but also that realization of that full freedom was purchased at the cross for us and available to us. Lord, I pray that you help us to rest in that and to trust it. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to take a few minutes before Vicky plays here. Um, and if anybody has any thoughts or comments or things that we should uh, pray about or consider with this passage, um, just to take some time to consider these things. <laughs>